Blog Talk Radio. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show. And today we are talking about the greatest performances of Nick Bockwinkle. And I'm joined by wrestling expert One Silva. What's up, man? Hey, good afternoon, Logan. Good afternoon, wrestling fans. As we talk about one of the greatest workers, one of the greatest talkers, one of the greatest all-around performers in the history of professional wrestling, a man who a year ago died at the age of 81, had a sensational career. And, Logan, what is amazing is these three matches we're talking about happened between the ages of 47 and 50 years old. This man was the greatest worker of all time past the age of 45. No man at that age moved like this man. This man, at 50, you saw what he did. Imagine him at 30. Yeah, um, hey, this guy, I, I'm always impressed because I didn't really get exposed to him, but, you know, in the, the few matches that I've seen and then the promos that he's done, I've always been like, man, this guy's an underrated dude. Uh, he's one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time. And it's funny, he's one of the greatest promos of all time. And he had as his manager the greatest manager promo of all time in Bobby Heenan. So you can just imagine the AWA back in the 70s television. They would talk people into the fucking seat. Yeah, and everybody, I mean, it was a classic heel champion that everybody wanted to see beaten. And uh, but 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 no slouch. I mean, a good wrestler too, but... Man, he was always in trouble, wasn't he? Like he was always like just about hey, to get he was, beat. He was the he was the perfect uh, chicken shit heel champion. And his and and, and it looked like Ric Flair must have learned a lot from this guy because he looked like he was Ric Flair before he, Flair was. If you look, he he you're right. He was Ric Flair before Ric Flair because he was AWA World Champion in mid seventies for most from nineteen seventy five. To, to 1987, he was AWA champion like nine of those 12 years, and that was yeah. for to become champion until '81. And you make a you make a good point. And just thinking about this, you just made a great observation. Where did Ric Flair begin his career in the AWA? Where Bob was already one of the big stars. Yeah, man. I mean, he modeled. It, it was like exactly the same sort of model. You wanted to see him get beat, and he was such a great talker. And I mean, it was a different kind of uh, promo. Look, look, but... look, look at the, 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 the sharp dress, dress, uh, the bumps he took in the ring, the chicken shit. He always finding a way to keep the belt, even though he had no business winning the keeping the belt. That was flesh. Stick when he became world champion. Yeah, and then the gimmick of like putting the foot on the rope at the last second—that's definitely Bachwickle. Uh, so. And so... And we, and we already know that uh, Jericho already admitted to the ceiling style when he had the biggest run of his career in the World Wrestling Federation. Absolutely. So let's, like, look at this guy because, uh, you know, his early career, I don't think many people know about that. I mean, because you remember him as AWA champion, but did he was he always in the AWA? The, the, the majority of his success was in the AWA. Um, his father was a wrestler, Warren Bockwinkle, and his father was a good friend of Luthez. Um, he, uh, Nick began wrestling at like 19, 20 years old in the early 50s, but his big success came in the AWA. He was AWA World Tag Team Champion with one of the great workers of all time, another guy that Rick Flair borrowed heavily from, Ray Stevens. And in the early 70s, Bobby Heenan managed 
the great tag team of Dick Bockwinkle and the great Phoenix. After that tag team ran its course, became AWA World Champion in 1975 and held the title for most of the for, for the majority of the next 12 years. And, and he, he he beat Vern Gagne? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, Vern Gagne is a 750-time AWA World Champion, so yeah, he has to beat Vern Gagne. <laughs> Finally, that that old dude finally lost. So, so how did he? How was that match? That that must have been an epic match when he won. Those must have been great matches. There, there are a few matches on YouTube. Um, Vern was never an exciting worker, in my opinion. Vern Gagne would put you in a headlock and you'd fall asleep after ten minutes of him having you in a headlock. Bockwinkel was more your classic, uh, bump, a guy who could wrestle and bump like a madman. And he always he always played heel, right? Except towards the end of his career, he became a face. He became a face in 1986. Oh, okay. So, so let's see. Uh, he he wins in uh, 75, and he holds it all the way up until he holds it. He holds it till 80. Ganya wins the title for the thousandth time, and then Bern Ganya retires a year later, and then they give the title to, to Nick Bockwinkel. So he doesn't. They don't have any tournament or elimination match. They just give the title to Bockwinkel. Because at the time, he's the number one contender. And the AWA president, Stanley Blackburn, decreed, Nick Buckwinkle is now once again the world champion. And so that, his next major feud, being that Vern Gagne has retired, is the very wildly popular, the beginning of Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan. But before we get to that, we'll talk about his match in 1982 against one of the biggest stars in wrestling at that time, the Chelsea Dog, the JYD. Yeah, man, this guy was riding high, and they really wanted him. I mean, he was so popular. I mean, he probably he was just popular when Hulk, as Hulk Hogan at this time. I mean, it was at like this time, yeah, they would be running next to the. In, at this point in time, the biggest stars in professional wrestling at this time, when it comes to the United States, American stars are probably Tommy Rich, Hulk Hogan, Jerry Lawler, and the Junkyard Dog. Yeah. So you got uh, Junkyard Dog in great shape here coming out now. This look, is how, not... look how he was, look at the way that JYD was built back in 1982, looking like a black Bill Goldberg. Yeah, he was unstoppable, and he had uh, a lot of energy and uh, definitely like a lot. You know, he looked like he was his mental his mental game was on there too. Now he didn't wasn't gonna challenge here for the title. It looked like they were going after his title of Yeah, he was the King of Wrestling, the Junkyard Dog, the King of Wrestling title that uh Bockwinkle. This was a way for Bockwinkle to keep the AWA title and do the job. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, like this is the way you give a title to a black man in the business. You give him some bullshit title. <laughs> well, I know, but at this point, JYD was the North American champion in the Mid-South, which was the number one title for Bill Watts. Oh, so. Like, yeah. Look, when JYD was on top, Bill Watts had him as his number one face. Junkyard Dog made a ton of money for uh, of, of Bill Watts. Um, that's when, when JYD left Mid-South in 1984, it almost crippled Bill Watts to, JYD was his number one star for four to five years. So you think JYD uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame? Finally, we did two shows. We've done two shows about wrestlers that belong in the Hall of Fame, and you need to put up that same one. They finally got in, um, and, you know, we did a, a two-part show a few years back on why Sting belongs in the Hall of Fame. We also did a show on JYD. 
Yes, JYD belongs in the Wrestling Zero Hall of Fame because he drew a lot more money than a motherfucking Daniel Bryan who just got accepted. That's that's the thing. Like, if you're gonna put Daniel Bryan in for one WrestleMania, <laughs> you know, I mean, give me a break. So, yeah, all right. JYD not in. So, yeah. But, um, um, congratulations to Sting, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. We did a two-part show on him a couple years back chronicling why he belonged in the Observer Hall of Fame. He finally got in. Thanks to the voters out there. Finally, you got it right, and we need to do it right one more time with JYD. Well, to just say uh, quickly on that one, um, the reason I think he got in was because Dave kept his fucking big-ass mouth shut this year. Oh, yeah, but just... yeah, Dave kept saying, oh, big with that. Because I remember one time I called in on an Observer radio, I mean, seven, eight years ago, and I asked Dave, oh, oh, why is this thing in it? They reprimanded. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he talked shit about him. Every time this shit would come up, he would, he would be on there. He's he, like, oh, he, he reprimanded me. Good reason. And before I could talk, he, he hung up on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, so this but, year, and, and, then, and then after the results came out, you know, I thought for the first time in months, in months, summer. I went to the Observer website to listen to the Observer Radio, and Dave had Brian and Matt Farmer on. Matt Farmer, a noted historian, and Dave was Dave was real disgusted at the fact that Dave Yeah, yeah, and he's also doesn't want Big Daddy in there either. But anyway, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so, wait, wow, what does what does Dave have a kid <laughs> He hates him. I think he really hates him. Anyway, he's in, so that's great. And the Junkyard Dog too. So Nick Bockwinkel, of course, he was on. He got in there on the first ballot, right, or whatever. Oh, Nick, there was no vote for Nick Bockwinkel. Remember back in 1996, Dave and his best friend John were on a plane flight to Japan, where they um, uh, elected the first class. Them two decided that Nick Bockwinkel, deservedly so, belonged in the very first Observer Hall of Fame class. Right on. So he, 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 of course, as typical fashion in this match with Junkyard Dog, he gets uh, he gets knocked all around silly. I don't think he gets even one. I think he gets maybe one shot of offense. He, he, he makes he makes the JYD look like a million dollars by bounce, and it's it's a, it's a great it's a great match because the fans go home happy because their hero wins, and they make JYD look like Goldberg. Goldberg before JYD was Goldberg before Goldberg. I remember Nelson saying back in the Observer when Goldberg came out in 97, 98, how he was booked just like uh, Bill Watts booked JYD in, in the Mid-South, where he would destroy you in a minute or two. This match was only five minutes. I mean, and we just, Bockwick would get destroyed, which made it, which would have been great had Bockwick come in the Mid-South and did a series of matches for the AWA title against JYD. Just imagine the kind of thing, because Bockwick would just, he he made JYD look great this match. He really did, and uh, it's such a it's a quick match. Um, at, at one point, uh, I think uh, Flint goes outside of the ring. He gets thrown back in by uh, JYD, and he pins him, and that's it. It's it's over. But uh, he never did get a shot at his title, did he? Um, they did do, they do they did do a title shot several months later. Um, of course, it was some crazy type ending. Yeah, and, true finish. Yeah, uh, you know your typical dusty finish here. Yeah. Right. So 
so you got uh, and Hulk Hogan coming up, right? That's the next one? Yeah, April 24th, 1983. This was the biggest card in the history of the AWA. This match sold out the St. Paul Civic Center weeks in advance to the point where they had to fight. They had the, 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 the card. It was called Super Sunday. They had the card on close circuit throughout uh, Minnesota. Yeah, and I like how they like made it real realistic, like that uh, that Bockwinkle didn't want the match, but they 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 gave him enough money where he agreed to it. And they had to raise the ticket prices and shit to pay for his title. Now he he was um, you know Hulk Hogan, man, just caught fire in the AWA, and like he was just like so so fucking popular. It's just like I don't think. Now, They'd probably seen anything he, like he, it. He came to the AWA in 1982 as a heel managed by uh, Luscious Johnny Val- Val- Valiant. Luscious Johnny Valiant. And then soon after coming in, uh, Vern Gagne saw how, how over he was with the fans and turned him face almost right away. But he never, he kind of never wanted to give him the title, right? Because he was he, just like, he didn't believe in that kind of wrestler being champion. He, if you notice, Logan, you hit the nail on the head. Most bookers, owners of territory, face the guy that's that their top star on somebody like themselves. Vern Gagne was a amateur wrestling standout. He was an Olymp- he was an Olympian. He was one of the greatest amateur wrestlers in the history of the United States. So, this is his promotion. He usually has a guy. Like that, like a Nick Bockwinkle who could wrestle. Hulk Hogan was a brawler, so he never, never was going to put the title on Hogan. You're right. And Hogan was a bodybuilder too. And, and man, what a physique! At this time, he really looked like an incredible Hulk because he didn't have that oh, yeah, gut this, that he. This was this was when he was at his physical peak as far as uh, uh, as far as his uh, built. And a great, uh, I think, a, I think a great worker for his greenness. Nonetheless, you know what I mean? He was, he's, prop, he's one of the most underrated workers of all time. You know, dudes used to shit on him, but we, we covered a lot of great matches on, on this podcast uh, with him. Yeah, he just knows how to read the room and the crowd and, and react to it and everything. So that's an important quality in a, in a big top baby face. So, and, man, did he have a connection with these fans. They were just they would just love his ass. And he came to the ring with the Eye of the Tiger. And this was probably this was right after Rocky, right? This year, because Rocky came out in 82, and that's one of the reasons why they had to turn him face, because he was in the AWA, and the popularity of that movie, they couldn't keep him a heel anymore. Yeah, I should. I still think he should have kept the name Thunderlips. I love that name. But anyway, Hulk Hogan's good, too. So he comes in here. He's he's you know he's got this uh, title shot and he is just dominating this dude like if, I think he Nick Bockwinkle gets in like a couple knees on the fucking ropes and that's about it but then like he and he gets a sleeper in and uh, Hulk Hogan uh, you know rams into the ref there's a ref bump you got you got Heenan in there uh, fucking around uh, was yeah Heenan was there right yeah he of course Heenan was yeah. there yes. So he's so he's uh, you know um, I, I think he just he comes in there like he fucking demolishes them. He wins. This, this and match is similar to the JYD match where Hope where Bockwinkle was bumping like a madman, making Hogan look like a million dollars. And um, he tries to put Hogan in a sleeper hole, 
The referee gets knocked, knocked, knocked down. Hogan throws Blockwinkle over the top rope, and then um, he brings Blockwinkle back in. He gives him the leg drop. One, two, three, and this is another dusty finish. The fans go for listening. Their hero is finally world champion, and I think this was the turning point in the AWA. This is sort of like the uh, the, 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 the Goldberg getting shocked by, by, by the stunt <laughs> yeah, I can't. I don't understand, man. They they didn't read. It. This is like they could have had Hulk Hogan probably would have stayed in the promotion if they did if they gave him the title here. Instead, he like doesn't he leave the promotion? No. What, what happens is at, at at that point in time, he was about to go on a tour of Japan, and so this was the story. This, oh, oh, I got cheated on the title, so I believe the AWA. So and, and um, when he came back, they did monster business. But they would never put the title on him to the point where um six months later six months later McMahon stole him. Yeah, he stole like I mean he stole everything out of that federation that wasn't nailed down. He got Mean Gene, he got fucking Hulk Hogan, he, he took, got he, everybody. He took Oakland, he took Hogan, he took Dr. D. Davis, Jesse the Body Ventura, Bobby Eaton, he raped her guy. Oh man. And so it was, like, crazy because you had, like, Mean Gene, who had great chemistry with Hogan doing the interview, and then he just you see him already in the WWF doing the same goddamn interview, uh, you know, chasing the title there. It's funny, so. it's funny uh, uh, the week before Christmas, you have Hogan and Gene Oakland on AWA, and Hogan's feuding with Dr. D. David Schultz and Mr. Saito. A week later, you tune on the WWF, and Mean Gene Oakland is interviewing Hulk Hogan and Dr. D. <laughs> Yeah, and he's feuding with Schultz too, right? I mean, <laughs> so they fucking uh, and and this is like the stubbornness of Vern Gagne because, man, I I really think if he had he, at least he would have, you know, maybe stayed there a little longer if he had the title. Um, so, but maybe not because he probably got offered some big ass money from uh, from Vince. So. But in any case, this match was pretty You know, you could tell it was exciting. And you said they did monster business when he came back. They huh? did monster business when he came back. But then once he left, you know, when you, 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 a promotion losing Hulk Hogan, you don't recover from that. No way, man. There's just, there's nobody like this guy, Kim, man. And, like, that's why the WWF just took off with him at the top. Man, it was like, they, I mean, he really. He really, if there was no Hulk Hogan, I don't think there would be the WWE the way it is today, man. I think Hulk Hogan is more responsible than anyone. Like, even, uh, more, than, even more than Vince. Without a doubt. I mean, he he, had to, he went national. He had to have that one star. I mean, he was coming off Rocky. He had the friendship with Mr. T. He had to. That was the one guy. It didn't matter who else he got. And yeah. His number one face was. And you remember at the time, like, the big cartoon at that time was He-Man. And so it was like, you know, they had their real-life He-Man, you know? It was like, so the kids just went crazy. Like, I I, I think that at this time, like, the kids just, you know, became the main audience for uh, WrestleMania. I mean, for for Hulk, for for the uh, WWF. And... (laughs) They come out with the ice cream bars. They had the rock and wrestling part two without a doubt. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. And so now it's funny because all the people that are the hardcore fans are the little kids that got into wrestling at that time, you know. So I, I, I didn't know this until until this guy died a few years back. 
Did you did the, the Rock and Wrestling cartoon? You know who did the voice of uh, uh, the, ch- the Chuckyard Dog? It wasn't JYD. I know none of the voices were the real people. Who who, who was it? Uncle Phil from uh from the Fresh Prince. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, because. I, I remember they gave Roddy Piper like a, a Weasley little voice, but I, I couldn't even know who that was. But that that was the dumbest cartoon you could ever watch, man. But you know, whatever. Uh, they uh, so so yeah, they, they you know they and they never I don't think ever recaptured this Hulk Hogan you know popularity. I mean, Stone Cold was like with the teenagers, but not with the kids as much as Hulk Hogan was. Nobody has ever gotten to that level. You're right. uh, so he comes. So then we get to this next match uh, with Rick Martel, who at this time he kind of looks like to me like the Montreal version of Bruno San Martino or something. I mean, he's like all right he's now, really... now. Now, uh, Bob would lose the title to Jumbo Saruda in February of '84, and then in May of '84, Saruda would lose to Martel, and so this Martel defending against Bachwinkle in September of 1984. Oh, I thought. Wait, I thought this was um, um, uh, Martel going after Bachwinkle's title. No, this is Martel defending oh. against Bachwinkle. Now, look how look how uh, look how stupid uh look how stupid uh, Vern Gagne was. He wouldn't give the title to Hulk Hogan, right? So he get the title finally um, a couple of months after Bachwinkle after Hogan leaves. He has he sells he sells the title reign to to all Japan. He, what what Vern Gagne would do is for like fifty thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars, he would sell a title ring, and you could have the title for a few months for for that amount of money. He, Jumbo Ceruto would get it from um, Giant Baba, paying him off, and then in May of of '84, he would drop the title to Rick Martel. So this is September of '84. Now, if you're going to give the title to Rick Martel, you might as well have given it to Hogan. But Rick Martel was another kind of amateur wrestler guy. Yes, 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 yes. So of course he liked along that cloth, right, right. And and Rick Martel was a great worker. I mean, very underrated as well. Uh, They should have worked without a doubt. But definitely not the popularity of Hogan. But in his town, he he's every bit as popular as Hogan. And uh, this was a uh, probably a sellout too. I would imagine. This uh, match. Oh yeah, even after Hogan left in '84, in '84 they would still do good business. They would still do good business. Uh, Martel was a decent selling of, was a decent selling of champion, but he, not Hulk Hogan. But um, he still would draw ten to twelve thousand uh, a match, and you can see in this crowd, if it wasn't sold out, it was getting close to sell out this match. Again, he's getting most of the offense here. He well, had, this was, I love this. It's the best of the three matches. Because this looks like a semi-shoot, almost like a USC-type match where they're banging each other's ribs, they're kicking each other's legs. Sensational match. Right. And it, it, this, this is this is the one where it ends with uh, the the interference. Uh, Mr. Sight, now, uh, Martel's got Bockwinkle in the Boston Crab, and the referee, once again, you got another ref bump. And Saito comes in and throws the salt in Martel's eye. And then Bachwinkle gets the pin, and they're going crazy. Now, this is the first time when I was a kid, this is the first time I ever saw a dusty finish involving the heel winning the title, and then they, they reverse the decision. Yes, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, 
that's a good thing. I guess you were happy about that when you were a kid. But uh, were you a fan of uh, Martell at the time? Now, at this point in time, um, the AWA was on was on television in New York. It was called Pro Wrestling USA, where it was NWA and AWA combined as talent. Played, uh, they wrestled at the Meadowlands, several parts of the Meadowlands. I was at the club where Martell finally lost the title in December of 85 at the Meadowlands when he lost to Dan Anderson. So, yeah, I was a fan of Martell because I followed Martell when he was tag team champion in the WWF with Tony Guerrero. Because I first thought of watching wrestling, they were the first tag team champion in 1981 of the WWF when I first started following wrestling, Rick Martell and Tony Guerrero. So, yeah, I was a Rick Martell fan. Yeah, and shout out to Oriental Heat. His, that's his favorite wrestler, by the way. So. Yes, yes, uh, indeed. Uh, the model, Rick Martell, uh, Mr. Honda. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so when we get uh, to a, we, he eventually he gets the title back, right? Yes, yes. They, they, they reverse the decision. Um, and no, no. I mean, I mean that oh, yeah. doesn't doesn't he win ever? That's again? what I was saying. I was at the title game in December of '85. Bartell loses Stan Hansen, and Stan Hansen has a six-month reign as, as the AWL champion. And once again, Slope is one of those deals where Baba buys the title reign in one of his wrestlers. Stan Hansen refuses to stop the title in June of 86 to Bob Winkle. Instead, he, he, he leaves the arena, gets on a plane with the belt, and then runs a tra- trailer over the belt, then bails the belt back to uh, Bergania. What the fuck, dude? Why did he do that? He was uh, Stan Hansen at the at that point in time didn't want to do the job, which didn't make any fucking sense. You get paid by the guy. I know he, he did that a lot, though. It was like he had this like I remember that wasn't there like he didn't want to lose to Hogan too. No, 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 no. that was Gordy that didn't want to lose to Hogan. So Hansen, oh, and Hansen did the clean job to Hogan. So Hansen did, yeah, that's right. We we covered that was a good match. Well, uh, that was a great match. Yes. What I understand is like, you know, what, what was he just thinking like, oh, this guy's too much of an old man to lose to? I think that was the point that he didn't want to lose the title to Bockwinkle because it, it, he didn't feel it was realistic that a guy at his prime would lose to a fifty-two-year-old man. Right, right. Yeah, he was looking a little old in the end there. He, he started. I think he held on a little too long, and I think. No, 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 no. We covered what, six months before he retired. We we covered his great one hour draw with Kurt Hennig. No, no. Bachwinkle with and when Bachwinkle retired in eighty seven, he was still one of the best workers on the planet. But his look though, he didn't look like you know <laughs> I know. He looked like a fifty two year old man, you're right about <laughs> But you know, but whatever, you're right. He was still good. He wasn't slipping in any in any way. Now, when you talk about uh his career like he could have was he ever lured over to WWF when he was when he retired, he would lose the title for the for good in May of '87 to Kurt Hennig. Six, uh, four, four to five months later, he would retire and become an announcer and road agent with WWF. Okay, and then he uh, he actually was in the WCW for a little while as a commissioner. Yeah, yeah, he was the commissioner for for a few years in, in WCW in the mid '90s. Right, right, and and his 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 um. I think like, did he get a uh, Hall of Fame um, into the WWF? He got. He got I'm not he got, sure. Uh, he would deserve. He would deserve. I think he's in. I think he's in. I, I would 
Um, off the top of my head, I would guess it's him. I mean, Bernie yeah. and he never worked with the WWF, and Nick Bach was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but underrated, definitely. Not as well-known as uh, Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or all these motherfuckers, but definitely up there with them in terms of his star power and uh, his, his abilities. And, man, his his promo was, like, low-key, intellectual. He had very good diction. And he was—he sounded like you know he was very. Okay, um, I just looked it up. 2007, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. So yeah, all right. He is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, he had some of the best like vocabulary of any wrestler that we've seen. Yes, without a doubt, he spoke like a college scholar, like a college right. scholar, ripping you apart. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And and very fucking he very good at getting the fans to hate him and want him to be beat up, and that was the whole name of the game, man. I mean, you got you got like a Mayweather, you know, doing that today. So it's it's, it's uh, the best he, way to sell tickets as a he, heel. He he drew a lot of heat with his with his promos, especially after he was paired with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Right now, Bobby the Brain also lured lured over to the uh, WWF. So, uh, like, man, they just, they got everybody, uh, including eventually Rick Martell. So, God yep. damn it, man. Yep. In any case, um, <laughs> what would you say, like, in terms of, like, I mean, where would you rank uh, this this guy, Nick Bockwinkle, in terms of, like, greatest heel? Oh, he's, he's, like, definitely, top, he, he's definitely top ten. Uh-oh. Yeah. Definitely. Top all time. Now his babyface run, what was that about? Like, who, who, all right, well, he, he, in in uh, in the spring of '86, he started feuding with Hanson, which made him a face. I got you. So Hanson was like the 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 bad yes. boy cowboy. Yes, yes. And that must have been there must have been some good matches too because they're both great. Oh, they, they, they had some great matches. They had they had some sensational matches. He had some great matches with Larry Sabisco and Kurt Henning. Before he finally retired, and you say some good runs in Japan too, uh, where he he probably had some good matches with some of those oh, guys. He was a big star in Japan, went to Japan all the time, especially uh, all Japan. Yeah. And he he came up with that Singapore sleeper, which was uh, quite a distinctive hold there. Uh, yeah, his have... sleeper look. I remember. Oh, you just brought up something that I just remembered. Um. And I saw it on YouTube a few months back where uh, Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle were on AWA television explaining why their sleeper hold was different than other people's sleeper hold. And they, they show a clip of Vern Gagne, and Bobby Heenan's like, see, see, he's choking. This is what he's doing is illegal. And then they show a clip of Bockwinkle sleeper, which is underneath the chin. You see, there's no choke there. There's no choke there. But yeah, this sleeper hold was vastly different than everybody else. Yep. And did he ever face Sergeant Slaughter? Probably because Slaughter began his AWA run in late 85. No, in late 84, Bockwinkle was still done for one heel. So, yes, I'm sure they had a few matches. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's it for uh, this one. We got uh, him in the books and definitely a great performer. And uh, these are some of his greatest here. But, uh, of course, there's not that many probably of his greatest matches uh, on video because uh, just of how long ago he wrestled. Right? No, uh, most of his stuff 
is from the AWA past 1980. Like, from 80 to 87, there's a bulk of, there's a lot of matches of his, but this is all past the age of 25. And, and who owns that library? I guess it's WWF at this point, right? Yeah, they, own, they, bought that, they, they bought that library from Grey Gun. So, and is it, is it all on the network? Because I don't even know anyone. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't think there's any AWA on the network. I just remember, a lot, like, they used to have that shit on ESPN all the time, the old Oh, yeah, shit. yeah, AWA contract. And so, when you air something on, 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 on your network, you, you own the rights to it. You can always show it. Yeah, so I don't know if they even can have those. Like, I think that they belong to ESPN probably. Or maybe they bought yeah, it. And ESPN has shown a lot of that stuff over the years. Uh, the AWA, they show a lot of the stuff from 86 to 90. Right on. And um, so I, it's interesting because, you know, I think had he been in the WWF, he would have been a much bigger star, but he was loyal and uh, – he stayed in with the AWA, but uh, he was one of the only ones that that did that. Um, but yeah, definitely an underrated guy, and um, and 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 he he just passed away. So glad we could do this. So who do we got next, man? In terms of this uh, great, are we what are we doing next time for the next show? Do you know? Uh, the next the next wrestling greatest performances will be one of the little men of all time, Rey Mysterio. Greatest performances, Rey Mysterio. I'll, I'll, all three of these matches are on the WWE Network. I'll, I'll check with you later on the matches and the, and the dates. And everything's available on the WWE Network, these three great matches of Ray Mysterio Jr. Are they all from WCW or? Yeah, all from... three are WCW matches, yes. Because when he finally got to the WWE, he wasn't quite the performer he was in WCW, was he? No, his prime. Too many injuries. WCW. Yeah, I mean, at WCW, he was something you never saw before. Or this. And it's, and I think in Mexico, he was even more incredible there, right? I mean, it was just like... Yeah, but he wasn't the worst. He was more acrobatic, but he he just put everything together. Like, in WCW, he had everything. He, he was perfect. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure one of those matches got to be with Malenko. Well, real quick, I'll run it down to you. No, none of them all were Malenko, because I never liked Malenko. You go. Uh, the three matches we'll be talking about are his matches with Psychosis, Tumor Dragon, and the late great Eddie Guerrero. Oh yeah, well him and Eddie Guerrero had great chemistry, man. Like, well they were they, best friends in real life, that's why. And they carried over their feud into the WWF, so it was, yeah. uh, oh, and they had some great matches in WWF, but nothing compares to the shit they did in Mexico and WCW. Well, that's because Guerrero got so slow because he got so bulked up. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't the worker. Yeah. Yeah, it killed him. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll be talking uh, later on about uh, Best Man Christmas, or and uh, the movie for our Christmas yeah. um, Logan's movie our reviews. Movie, Best Man Holiday later on tonight. Sorry, Best Man Holiday, and uh, definitely um, a, a sad movie, but but pretty touching and and good for for the holidays. And I was able to catch the the, the one before just so I could get a history of these characters and look yeah, like I mean yeah and what I love about uh, Best Man Holiday and we'll go into it in, in, in detail the movie is is this is all an, an entirely almost an entirely all black cast guys in the second book, the Best Man Holiday all the men and women in this movie are over the age of 40 and god damn all of them look beautiful 
Yeah, they look better than they did before. And and and, then, and I hear they're coming out with part two. So we'll be re-looking at that maybe next Christmas. But um, So, all right, man, we'll uh, talk to you a little bit later tonight about that movie. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, and stay tuned for the Ray Mysterio show in about two weeks. And uh, talk, talk to you soon, brother. Peace.